Welcome to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast, where your hosts, Dr. Peter Bolden and Dr. Craig Spodak, help you go next level with your practice, leveraging the four pillars that make a practice bulletproof. Vision, building a dream team, marketing ninja, and financial freedom. Now, let's get into it. Hey, everybody. Thanks for tuning in to another edition of the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. This next episode is pretty neat in that we got an inquiry from a D3 student named Tyler at Temple Dental. And what he wanted to do was basically they have a mastermind that they do as students. So that you know On their own, they, they've set up their own mastermind, and they wanted to invite us to partake in some questions that they had. We thought it would be the perfect medium to then deploy that in a Facebook Live scenario. Unfortunately... The audio, as we tried to extract it from our podcasting uh, platform, was not great. So we'll warn you in advance that the content is awesome here, but the audio quality is not so hot. So um, I want to make that disclaimer right now. But anyway, if you can get through it and absorb the content, I think it's awesome and you'll get a tremendous amount of value from it. That's it. Have a great day, everyone. See you soon. For those of you tuning in right now, we are sharing our live uh, podcast with a bunch of uh, young dentists from Temple University Dental School. We're going to pick our brain, and we're inviting the online community to pick our brain as well. Um, if you have any questions, comments, feel free to jump in right away with us. Nice. That's cool. So thanks for tuning in. We're sharing this as many places as possible so we can build an audience, right? Kind of viral right now. This is such a millennial thing for us to do, Peter. I'm so happy we're being surrounded by these four millennial dentists. It's great. It really is. It, I, honestly, I thought there'd be a technological snafu, but it's a it's a damn miracle that we're it's, it's a miracle. It's a freaking miracle. Christmas miracle. All right, guys. So so again, Temple Dental students, third year, rising third year, right? Yeah, starting third year. Nice. I'll have it be known to the community that they set up this mastermind on their own ambition which i think is legit i wish i wish that had been the case in my school i wish uh i wish i had thought of that so that's great that you guys are going next level already in dental school so tyler i know you kind of headed this up why don't you yep. jump into it all right so um we're just five students at temple right now we're rising third years like you said um we're just getting introduced into clinic and the beast of clinic um so yeah, we're, we're a mastermind group within Temple University, and we're just trying to learn as much as we can about business, about the non-clinical aspect of dentistry, but also the clinical as well. Uh, we're just trying to be a sponge as much as we can, um, and we appreciate you guys really uh, setting aside time in your day to meet with us and just just to uh, shower us with some of, some of the answers that you have for our questions. So, yeah, we appreciate it. We'll do our best, pal. We'll do our best. Yeah. All right, go jump into it. What's number one? All right, so question number one. Um, so what is the most valuable resource you guys used when you were learning how to run a successful business? So the, you asked what's the most important resource? Yeah, or resources that you like use because we, we all know they don't, don't teach business in dental school. So you came out and you jumped into uh, the business of dentistry. What were you using to learn? I, you know, honestly, back in the day, I was I was uh, using YouTube a lot. I didn't know how to market. I didn't know how to do. At, at the time, you know, I was learning um, 
Facebook, you know, I mean, I'm sorry, I was learning Google AdWords and stuff like that. And so at the time, I would work a full clinical day. I worked five days a week back in the day. And then I would come home and, and literally, like, just immerse myself in learning about how to go next level with my practice. So I use YouTube a lot. And um, the online communities weren't as pervasive as they are now. We actually had a lot more, like, email lists and stuff, like email threads. And it was real cumbersome um, and obtuse to kind of go through. But... I, I just took a lot of learning myself in YouTube. And also, unfortunately, I had to make a lot of mistakes along the way, you know, to kind of figure out, like, oh, shit, that didn't work very well. And unfortunately, some of those mistakes were expensive. But, um, but you, know, it's excel you know, mistakes are really just accelerated learning. And so that's, I think that's one of the things that I see a lot, of, a lot of dentists doing, young and old, is kind of sitting safe. And, and being too kind of cautious and not wanting to just go out there and, and blaze a new path because it's like, oh, that, that hasn't been done before. So don't be afraid to, uh, you know, don't be afraid to when you get out, you know, just crush it because you guys, you guys have the luxury. You know, here's what I thought. Honestly, when I got out, I said to myself, look, I'm, I, I can survive on pretty much nothing. Like I don't have kids. I had two dogs. I had a, you know, a little apartment. And I said, look, now's the time to kind of risk it and and do what I want with my career. So I don't know if that helped, but YouTube's a good resource. I also I want to jump on to what you just said, Pete. The, the the speed of your mistakes is dictating the speed of your learning, and you you've gotta if you're not making mistakes, if you're playing it safe, you're not you're not growing fast enough. And I'm not talking about clinical mistakes because you have patient safety. Don't get in, don't get it over your head when it comes to the clinical aspects of dentistry. You, you come out of dentistry, we get taught occlusion and stuff like that. I really believe that dentistry should have some sort of apprenticeship or residency around it because when you come out, you've learned occlusion, but you haven't learned the practical natures of patient care. So the context for learning is not there. So gobble up CE. I'm a big fan of Frank Spear. You can pick Dawson, whoever you want, Panky, all those guys. They're all about the same. When you talk about occlusion with a bunch of dentists, it's like talking religion or politics, everybody's fighting. But the good guys have the basics, you know, looking at how to recognize disease occlusion and stuff like that. As far as business stuff, I'm a big fan of what Pete said. I just gobbled up business books. I read Good to Great, Tony Shea's Delivering Happiness. Um, I just built, was built to sell is one of my favorites. Yep. That but will help you with systemization. Don't, don't rely upon dental textbooks per se. Look at dental textbooks to get your dental education and model successful retail or large businesses to get your, your business education. That's one piece of advice. Model those successful guys. We didn't have podcasts when Pete and I, I feel like that sounds like such a freaking old timer say like, we didn't have podcasts. We had to walk to school up, uphill both ways, but we didn't have this type of learning, you know, and for the first part of my career, I was traveling around trying to hear speakers. I would gobble up podcasts. I think what we're doing, you know, when you've got two guys that are doing um, different things and making mistakes, the, 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 the amount of mistakes Pete and I have made is probably $20 million in cost. I mean, it's amazing what we've learned from each other. And when we get on the phone with each other, we're just sharing ideas back and forth. And that's what you guys have. We're keeping it real. and We're, we're making those mistakes. So listen to the podcast that you have out there. Um, T-Bone's got a great one. Um, who else? Dental Hacks has got a great one. Uh, no, what is that called? Worms? Is it, what, what is there? Uh, Alan Meads? Alan Meads is Dental Hacks. You're right. Dental Hacks. Yeah. Awesome podcast. So the, the type of learning that's available now, we never had. So, I mean, that's just awesome for you guys that you have that availability. 
and look for and look for CE outside of the the realm of dentistry. Honestly, I go to a lot of conferences that have that that people look at me sideways when I tell them I'm a dentist. Like, what the hell are you doing here? Kind of thing. So don't think that just because it's not offered in the CE, you know, from, I'm going back to your question as a business perspective. Don't think that you can't you know, go and attend, you know, just true business, you know, courses and, and classes and conferences. For sure. Absolutely. Can I continue on with that? So um, did you utilize coaches and uh, consultants as you were growing? Yeah. Pete and I, uh, I, I mean, I'll speak personally. I'm a big um, – you know, Tony Robbins fan. I've always, you know, gone through some form of personal development coaching. Um, Pete and I actually share a coach right now. Um, we, we do it together because we want to have that accountability. We're also good friends. So we, we don't have problems talking about, you know, our own personal stuff that's happening either business or personally, professionally or personally, but it's a good thing. You always want to keep having, um, you know, Tiger Woods has a coach. LeBron has a coach, multiple coaches. You never want to get to the point where you've like, I figured it out. I don't need to learn anymore. So uh, the, the consultants that are out there, a lot of them don't really have the chops to do what they're doing. They don't own dental practices or if they do own a dental practice, they, they, they're a silent partner in them. I would say that for coaching, I would probably look outside dentistry and learn through education about inside dentistry. That's my two cents. Pete, what do you got for that? I 100% agree with that, actually. You know, 99% of the reason why you'll be successful or, or fail in your business is the psychology and skill set of the owner. So, you know, you need some business coaching. You're going to come out not really knowing much about dentistry and not really knowing much about business. And the goal is just to learn both of them before you before you fail, I guess, unfortunately, you have, a, you have a, I like to tell people clinically, you have an empty bag of experience and a full bag of luck. And the goal is to fill the bag of experience before the bag of luck runs out. You've got to learn all that stuff. Sorry, I'm getting blank faces. <laughs> so I've got a question for you guys. So uh, I know listening to you as podcast, you guys always focus on like the future of dentistry, especially like the DSOs um, and that group and how that's, changing the whole consolidation coming in. So knowing what you guys know now of where the direction is going um, with DSOs, how would you change your guys' business models now where Craig, you have the whole in-house everything and then um, Peter with your you know multiple offices. Would you guys change anything about that now knowing what you do or would you do the exact same way? I'm gonna let Pete jump on that one because Pete's, um, Pete's got a good handle on that. So go for it, man. You know, I think the grass is always greener. You know, there's there's some days when I look at Craig's practice and look and say, man, I really should have set mine up that way because – so I'm going to go back to your question. So in, in the light of the DSOs, how would, how would we compete? And so we got a little bit of a head start. Obviously, our practices have been, you know, 15, 20 years in, in progression. And so it's a little bit easier to compete with a quote-unquote DSO, right? But how would I position myself going forward? I would not be afraid to open up my own practice if, if I was a, a third-year dental student. I'm just going to tell you that right now because I think there's still a, a lot of runway for awesome quality practices. And I think you guys have the ability, you know, I think the cottage industry or the granular practice has a, has a superior ground game or can have a superior ground game to a corporate entity. And when I say ground game, I mean you can beat them on experience, you can beat them on relationship, you can beat them on – there's a whole lot of things that you can that you can still win on. So quality, quality is going to be uh, 
I'm getting a lot of feedback from y'all. Can y'all hear me okay? Yeah, we hear you. Okay. I think we got to make sure that you guys are muting your Facebook uh, live video, if you don't mind. Make sure it's muted. I think it is. Yeah, I think, um, it, is. I think it might even be mine. So is that, was that your question? But I want to I add on that. So, you know, Pete, you said, I wouldn't be afraid to open up my own dental practice right now. If you're planning on doing it alone and solo, I, I think the DSOs shape that. You know, consumers are expecting right now that you have the highest technology, you have convenient hours, and that you're, you know, that you have a, a slick facility and all the bells and whistles. I don't know personally if that's viable to do on your own. So would I, as a new dentist coming out of school, would I swing my doors open and try to make it go solo? I, I don't know. I, and I don't want to steal what you're saying, Peter, but I no, think- I, No, and I agree with that. I agree with that. Either you niche, either you niche out and become the master in what you're doing, right? Like there's still room for being a niche and being the guy or the gal in your town that does Invisalign or veneers. Like you can still hard focus on or implants, whatever it is if you want to be the single practitioner, but I agree with Craig and there's safety in numbers. And if you can join forces with like-minded dentists that want the same thing as you do, then, then I think a partnership might behoove all of you. Yeah. And also the DSO shaped us as well. Like I think when, when you're asking that question, like which model is better, um, there's so many layers to that. You're talking like single location versus multi-location, you know, you're talking about specialists versus, you know, less specialists. I think technology has been a great disruptor here and that um, I, I, I'm concerned about the future for dental specialty. I think that, you know, when you look at guided surgery and with the ability to place dental implants and make teeth before the dental implants even placed or even what Invisalign's done to tra traditional orthodontics, I do believe that specialty will have less presence in the general dental on the dental market actually I, I hear of prosthodontists being hired now as general dentists because they can't find jobs as prosthodontists I hear periodontists doing you know wider scopes of work including some general dentistry because they can't make a go at it you know just in that narrow scope and I think the future belongs to the super GP Pete and I always say this when you have digital planning available to you, robotics entering dentistry as well. I think that the future belongs to the well-rounded, well-trained GP that has a good understanding of ortho, a good understanding of perio, some implant placement, and, and some uh, comprehensive um, um, occlusion, rebuilding, rehab, and comprehensive uh, smile design. I really do believe that's the future. And I think Pete agrees with that. So if you were asking that question as far as like, do you believe it's a, a bunch of super trained GPs or a specialty driven model? I would wholeheartedly say that the future is for the super trained GP. But, but neither one of us, I think, have the model figured out. Like Craig has a giant multidisciplinary facility, right? And I have multi-location, which is uh, I wanted more for distribution. So it just has to do with kind of where I needed to be in my town. You know, in Atlanta, I wanted more distribution. So there's, there's pros to every scenario, but I think that, um, you know, you just kind of have to, you, you kind of have to, to, to see what really resonates with you when you go visit and, and start exploring what you want to do in your career. Yeah, as time goes on, though, you know, like look at it this way, one, one piece of uh, advice or one piece of food for thought. Um, and also, I want to tell the people that are watching live on Facebook, feel free to in the comment section, uh, ask us questions. Uh, we, we did get one just now. Why Bulletproof are you expecting to open in a bad area? Um, you know, that's, that's not a bad idea. You could always do Bulletproof class for uh, Max Safran. 
I guess that was a joke. But anyway, one piece of um, information to just kind of marinate on is as time goes on, technology, we've come to realize technology has played a bigger and bigger part in the general dental practice. You know, when my dad opened up the dental practice, you just needed a place to sit and a place to spit. Now you need CBCT, milling machines, possibly robotics. We're seeing good robotics well, stuff coming yeah. out. 3D printing, you know, gadget, you know, everything kind of coming coming on really fast. And it's coming, you know, obviously you guys know this because you're in that space of kind of technology, I'm sure. But but, that, but as you have all that technology, if you have seven locations and let's say a 15 or 20 mile footprint, you're going to have to have seven, uh, um, you know, CBCTs and seven, ro you know, robotic things and seven printers and seven iteros so the cost of doing dentistry because of technology has increased immensely like thinking about like how medical doctors used to be able to practice with their little black bag they used to like go to your house deliver the baby they were your cardiologist they they worked in the family dog you know now how could a medical doctor practice outside of the scope of a hospital with interventional radiology and you know uh, CAT scans and all these different levels of diagnosis. So I do believe that it's going to be a little bit easier to have larger offices if you could do it. I, I'm not I'm not saying against the model that um, that Pete's done with the geographic uh, footprint, but larger offices that people are willing to travel to. I think I, I actually agree with that. Let me, let me comment on that. So I think the future is a, is going to be 10 to 12 operatory practices at least, so that you can have economies of scale. Perfect. Thank you. So is that something that you guys uh, envisioned when you just graduated dental school, like that you guys were going to open up bigger practices? Or um, what do you guys recommend? Like, as we're going to be recent and new grads in two years, uh, there's going to be big challenges and big obstacles that we're going to have to overcome. And, yeah. Uh, yeah, so you need to get your speed up. I would, I would work for someone for a couple of years. I wouldn't go right out and try and set your own practice personally. Um, because I think you need to get some confidence clinically, some clinically, and learn and watch and observe from the business uh, that you're kind of in. Whatever, if that's corporate, you decide to go corporate or or be an associate somewhere else. I, I think there's a lot to say about kind of learning learning the second part of your career. Because right, you get out and you're you're a licensed dentist, but you know, very few of us. Um, are ready to rock and roll at kind of that the level that I think it takes to compete. So I would I would gain a couple get a little experience and really just sponge and absorb all you can for for a couple of years until you feel you have the chops to compete in the free market. Also, Pete and I talk about this all the time. Pete's a real big fan of a GPR. Um, he's seeing a lot of guys coming straight out of school doing like two year GPRs, and he says they're just kicking butt. I would definitely advise. Um, from what I've seen doing a GPR. Absolutely. I mean, you just answered that question. The other question that I had was just like the postgrad path of like, so instead of trying to get out like one year work for a corporate or whatever, try and get our speed up, not necessarily corporate, just get out, get a year experience or do a GPR and then go into ownership. But what in your guys' eyes, what would be the most ideal like pathway, right? I know there's like, like so many different pathways, but like in order to get – um, I don't know. That's kind of a hard thing, I guess. Yeah, I, I hear what you're saying. Like, what's the ideal pathway for getting the largest scope and the most experience that at the at the fastest amount of time? Yeah, shortening learning curve for all. Yeah. So I I do I think a, a surgical GPR would be a great thing to do. 
I also think, but I know they work, you know, I know there's long hours, so there's not much time in the day left for your own education. But I would like, it, you know, if I were starting out right now, knowing what I, knowing what I know, I would, I would be more surgical. I would get more surgical experience because I have really none. Um, and I would literally immerse myself in technology. I probably wouldn't even, you know, I'd come home and just literally like play in VR and like play with my 3D printer and like look at the technology and just literally just hack my way through learning what I could do for dentistry because I think that that's going to be the great disruptor in, in the space. I really do. And I think those who fully immerse themselves in that technology are going to win. Yeah, without a doubt. I agree with that 100%. It used to be that patients didn't mind, you know, traveling from office to office. And my office, my particular practice was built around that idea. So if someone asked the question, like, did you know when you're in school, I, I had an idea, like even in dental school in 1996 and 1998, that I was going to build this regional center. Um, but what I didn't anticipate is technology playing such a disruptive factor in dentistry and how it's practiced. Uh, now knowing that technology is here and there's greater technology that's going to be coming down um, the pipeline, I would say to really invest in a holistic approach to dentistry. I think, like we said, the future is the super GP. You need to know some limited amount of orthodontics. You need to incorporate Invisalign into your practice because you know, you'll find, you'll send the stuff out to local orthodontists and they'll come back and the occlusion's not even right. So I'd say the basis for your education is first occlusion. You have to have this really, because occlusion is the basis for everything. If you do, you know, whether it's Spear or, you know, Dawson or Panky or what have you, if you really become really adept at understanding occlusion, that's the basis for everything, for perio, for um, uh, ortho, uh, for, for your veneers, because you can learn how to make pretty teeth. Um, and there's plenty of courses that you can do a weekend course on how to, how to make pretty teeth, but you'll create so much overbite, they'll break off in a year or two. You don't, you don't know what you don't know when, when it first starts. So I would say a GPR, I'd start off my training with occlusion first and then build from that. Um, and occlusion is something that I left dental school and I couldn't really understand it. Most people leave dental school and you can't really understand occlusion because you don't know what, the, what they're talking about. They're talking about non-working interferences. It's kind of like you have to get your ass kicked in dentistry and put in something that you think is really good and then watch it break in a year. You're like, why did it break? You know, maybe it was a lab's fault. And then like a year later, something else breaks. You're like, oh, it's the same type of thing. And then you start learning, oh, that's what it is. I thought when you ask a patient a bite, you know, they just tap their teeth together. Oh, you're fine? No, the, the mandible's dynamic. The envelope of function is so dynamic. Teeth move all over the place. You can start to take models as time goes on and see how the teeth wear and see, see how people are protruding 10 and 12 millimeters. And they have really weird habits. So the, the unfortunate thing about dentistry is that we're dealing with human beings and human beings are super variable. So it's always going to be exciting um, learning that, that occlusion. I want, I want to comment on that too, just one more, because I think that is important. So I know you guys are getting out with lots more debt than, than we had. Um, I know it's massive, but I, in hindsight, you're asking kind of what we would do. And I would, I would fully invest in some of the larger continuing education programs. And unfortunately they're expensive. You know, some of the good ones, the spear and the coist and stuff like that are $10,000 plus, but it's think don't think of it as a cost think of it as an investment for the next 30 40 years of your career because it will categorically make you a better dentist and it'll open your eyes up to what's possible in dentistry i think the awareness is massive massive like having just the awareness of what's coming or what's what what you need to know is massive the second thing i can say is if you want to be a successful dentist study public speaking and body language 
I, the, the most successful dentists I know have a great way of communicating complex things very simply to the patient. And they make the patient feel like they're, they're um, you know, there's a lot of caring going on. It's just they have a great way of communicating. So really be great with your delivery. And if you're not good at kind of talking in, in a public forum, then, then use this time to kind of get awesome at it because that is something that I see being a huge problem. I know some super dentists that could smoke me crown prep or whatever they do. Like, they could kill me. But, they, but, but literally they go in and they make everybody uncomfortable as they communicate with the patient because they literally start talking about, like, you need to do this. And, you know, it really comes these super technical terms like, you know, your mucogingival line is all messed up and blah. And they end up talking someone or scaring someone out of treatment. So it doesn't matter how good you are at what you do. If you can't actually get someone to commit to the treatment, then you kind of suck. Yeah, it's true. And being an exceptional dentist is, is you have to have this trifecta. You have to be clinically exceptional. You actually have to build rapport with people so people trust you. Because even though we all know we're doing the right thing for patients, patients don't know that. So you could be explaining treatment that, you know, I mean, in Peter's in my practice, we only recommend what we would have done on ourselves. You know, so... But, but they will lose you if you can't build rapport and tell them the benefit. So, and when doctors, especially new doctors, get questioned, they go really ultra clinical and technical. The minute you guys get like any pushback, as new doctors like, well, the alveolus and the curvus B and the blah, blah, and patients are just like, like, they don't even know what the hell you're talking about. You've got to use, and that's also because in education, you're talking to only dentists, you're not talking to patients. So you develop a clinical dialogue that does not resonate with patients. So it's very important to just keep it non-clinical as benefit statements. Why? And not even non-clinical, right? Like you guys have to identify that dentistry is a very scary place for 95% of the population. Yeah. Most people hate going there. And so I don't know if any of you guys play poker or any not, but I always, there's always tells, you know, poker tells that someone gives and women, if they're uncomfortable, they kind of start stroking their hair and men start doing this. And so that's when you need to pump the brakes and say, all right, you're obviously something without saying like, oh, you're uncomfortable. But like you just need to be cognizant and, and be able to pick up on the fact that like dentistry is scary and like you need to kind of coax someone into no the treatment that you know is best for them. Yeah, it's true. I mean, a patient needs to understand um, the value to them. I mean, I, I always say this too, like medicine is focused on getting people unsick. So like guys like any of the six or seven of us go to a medical doctor and they'll be like, what the hell are you doing here? You're fine. Like, get out of here. My patient, my waiting room is filled with people who are sick. So like, I remember I, wa I wanted to run a half marathon. I went to the cardiologist. I'm like, you know, I hear people kind of die on half marathons. I want to make sure I'm okay. He's like, well, you're fine. Get out of here. I'm like, well, I just, can't you do a stress test on me? He's like, you don't need it. It's not indicated. So I think dentistry is in a unique position because we're getting people optimally well. So patients come in to our practices today and there's no disease present they have no cavities they have no periodontal disease but their teeth are really crowded and they're 35 years old and there's a lot of wear you have an obligation to tell that patient the ramifications of not doing treatment because you're looking at keeping teeth a lifetime and teeth don't always last 80 years you may last 80 90 years but your teeth may quit at 35 if you don't take care of them teeth are the only body part that start to break down immediately. Like if you don't wash your eyeballs every day, they don't start bleeding and not working. But if you don't brush your teeth by the time you're 35 or 40, if you never pick up a toothbrush, your teeth fail you completely. So it's really important that you have to understand it's an educational process. It's not a sales process. You have to tell patients, do I have permission to tell you everything going on? 
My goal is to help you keep your teeth a lifetime. Can I tell you what's going on? But you can't make it salesy either. They can't walk out saying, oh, you want to sell me on all this crap because they'll go to 10 other dentists. The other 10 dentists are like, oh, that's bullshit. You don't have to worry about that. But if you're doing your job well, you help them understand what's going to be the long-term effects of their choices. Medicine does not do that. Medicine will slap you on Lipitor. They don't talk to you about working out. They don't talk to you about this or that. They're just treating to the lowest common denominator. Here's some meds and get out of my office because I only have five minutes to, to spend with you. We in dentistry have the beautiful aspect of having lifelong relationships with patients. You know, I'm a third generation dentist. I have, den I have patients that have seen all three generations of us, you know, for 50 years. So it's really cool that we have that ability to have that rapport. So it's really important that you focus on those relationship building skills and spend the time with the patients. Don't commoditize the patient. Don't do the Groupon, you know, get them in, get them out. Be overwhelmed with advertised patients that have no affinity for your practice. Pick what you, you have to describe and, and very articulate, you have to articulate rather a vision for what you want the dental practice to be. And it's your own signature. Pete has a different model than mine and everybody listening has a different practice model. Maybe the five of you guys will have a very different business model over time as well. But pick what you want it to feel like and what segment of the market you want to treat. Because there is room for the walk-in dental model. There is room for the Walmart dentistry. I mean, shit, if I lost a temporary crown and it was 11 p.m., I'd be happy that there's a Walmart that could cement it for me. So, you got to, you know, it's not a one-size-fits-all. Restaurateurs don't get together and say, what's the best restaurant model? Because the guy that owns, you know, 10 Chick-fil-A's might be having more fun and might express his vision better than the guy who has the craft taco truck in Austin. It's, it's really about your own vision. And don't hijack anybody else's vision. Hey, everybody. It's Dr. Craig Spodak from the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. And I am super fired up to talk to you guys about our summit happening October 12th and 13th at the beautiful St. Regis Hotel in Atlanta. This is the opportunity to learn everything we've accumulated over the last 20 years of dentistry and business management. We're leaving it all on the table. There's nothing to sign up for afterwards. This is just two days of intense learning and mastermind sessions. We strongly encourage you to bring someone in your office that's a stakeholder, not just an employee, but someone that's actually following you and treats your business as their own. Because if you come back from this thing all fired up and you don't have your first follower or someone to help implement, it's gonna be very difficult. So once again, October 12th and 13th at the beautiful St. Regis Hotel in Atlanta. Registration is filling up very, very quickly and the tickets are almost sold out. So go to Bullet bulletproofdentalpractice.com forward slash summit and reserve your spot today. See you soon, people. So learning communication, where would be the best way to like look through that? Is it like, so obviously I know you guys are huge advocates for looking outside of the dental field, I guess. Mm -hmm. uh, but do you feel like this kind of CE or this kind of learning would be beneficial within the dental field because it's like certain terms that we need to learn? No? Okay. No. I mean, well, actually, I take that back. There's a guy named Paul Homily who doesn't speak much anymore. He's an older, he's a little older now, but he, I think he's just been one of the greatest educators in, in kind of communicating dental enrollment and case presentation and just how to talk to patients. But I also would enroll, if I were you guys, 
even you could do it now, like do Toastmasters, like learn how to public speak. I know that sounds so stupid to say that, but like Toastmasters is free essentially. And you can go in your community and, you know, you guys are in Louisiana, I mean, in uh, New Orleans, right? No, in Philly. Philadelphia. Why don't yeah, I don't know New Orleans, Philadelphia. You know what I was thinking? I was thinking Tulane for some reason. Um, so, so, but anyway, there's Toastmasters. close, bro. There's, there's Toastmasters everywhere, right? And so, so back, to your, back to your conversation, yes, there may be some dental education just to learn the pathway, but I think you need to kind of learn the core on how to do it. And then you can kind of weave in your dental, your dental communication. Um, you know, I, I never did, Pete. I never did any Toastmasters or anything like that. I do agree. I'm not saying it's mandatory for everyone, it, but you have to have the awareness to know that, all right, you know what? Like, you're, you're literally, you're an extrovert. Like, you walk into the party, everyone, oh, hey, Craig, it's Craig, everybody. You know, I'm a little bit more kind of more comfortable than the guy in the corner. So you just have to be aware of the fact that maybe it wasn't your God-given skill to be this master communicator like Craig was and then just say, hey, I'm going to at least learn, I'm going to make this a learned skill because it wasn't gifted to me at birth. That's all I'm saying. Yeah. You know, Pete, Pete has a really wonderful way of describing like, um, like, so my, my, my communication skill comes naturally to me to talk to a patient cause I'm really aligned. Like I'm doing the very best thing for them. So I go in with a belief system that if they could just hear me, they're going to do they'll be better for it. Like my goal is I'm only recommending dentistry that needs to get done. Number one. And the best dentistry, in my opinion, is no dentistry or the least amount to get a patient he healthy. So my context for seeing a patient is like, you know, it's very pure. Like I'm doing what's in my heart. Like, hey, just if you could just listen to me, if you could be educated by me, you'll make a good decision. And I don't really care if you do it today or do it with somebody else, but I want to give you an education. And even if you arrive on it five years from now, I'm successful. Where Pete really does a good job at communication. He's a masterful communication like with his team and his associates and stuff like that. So the same thing of like, like I'm surrounded by being liked and giving good value. That sometimes doesn't always work when you have to hold people to an accountability structure. So, you know, Pete has a very good way of articulating expectations, which I don't, because I figure most people are like me. So my, my weakness, my blind spot is that articulation of expectations. I do want to hit one question that just came up, Zachary Kingsburg. How does the future of dentistry look with having associates as employees versus, versus offering ownership? Um, I, I always say people don't wash rental cars, Zach. And um, I think if you're looking for long, I think corporations are not, most corporations, most DSOs don't really give a shit if you work there for two years and then take off. They've kind of planned that into their business model. You know, they, they pay you so, such a, a small percentage of what you do. They've kind of built that all in. For Pete, my business model, we look for long-term alignment and ownership. Pete already has owners. I'm just um, going through that right now. But if you wanted to join my practice as an associate and told me today, I have no willing will or desire to own, I'd be leery of hiring you as an associate. You so I want you to act like an owner. And if you can act, I'm sorry. You just wouldn't. I mean, yeah, I wouldn't. I wouldn't. I wouldn't. And, at this point. I, and I, nor would I, because you know. The ownership mentality is something that you got to have to have even as an associate. Um, and if it's just not the, you know, if you, you want to just get some, get some repetitions in, then, then maybe, maybe corporate dentistry is the right move for a while because you'll, you'll work long and hard hours. But, but I would not recommend joining a practice if you didn't want to be there long term. Yeah, I agree with that. So keep the questions coming on Facebook. And gentlemen, you, uh, I have Benjamin Vela. 
Um, multi-practice owner getting ready to sh turn the lights off at a satellite. Yeah, that might just be, you know, spreading yourself too thin. It's hard to scale when you don't have one thing that's replicable. I think that dentists do that a lot. They, they open up second and third locations as solo operators and don't really have infrastructure. And then you're driving across town to meet some new patient where the patient at your own practice that loves you lost their temporary crown and you're neither here nor there. I think scale, there's a gold rush going on in dentistry. You know, money's stupid right now. It's flowing everywhere. Pete and I get letters that people want to buy us and don't even know who the hell we are. And the numbers that they're willing to pay are literally crazy. So it is, it's an unsustainable gold rush. And the dentists are responding saying, I need to open three, four, five, ten practices. And I'd say if you can't do it well, just keep it to one. I'd rather have one great practice than five mediocre ones. Um, so uh, don't feel pressured. You're going to make a great living as long as you do the right thing for patients. As long as your team and your, your employees are happy, that's the leading indicator you have to watch out for. I'm sorry, your, your team and your patients, rather. If your team is happy and your patients are happy, money shows up as a byproduct of that. Don't put money first. But don't scale too quick either. I got a question for you guys. Um, I know you guys do a lot of, like, marketing and stuff like that. And so initially, like, you mentioned, like, there were Google AdWords and then came, like, uh, Google reviews and Yelp and stuff like that. And like the new trend, at least for our generation seems to be social media with like, uh, Instagram and stuff. So have you guys, uh, experimented or do you have experience with like influencer marketing or have you utilized that at all? Yeah, we uh, both do. We both do. I, I stole, I am, uh, actually I didn't steal from you. I was doing my stuff before you Pete, but I, what, yeah, we're refining that crap. Wait, what did you just say? No, I said, I, I said to myself, I stole it from you, but I was doing it before anyway, but go ahead. I mean, you weren't real. Let's just be no, honest. no, no. I don't mean I was doing it before you. See how competitive Pete and I are. I meant I was doing it before I knew you. So I was first, but I was first. I think that influencer. So I'm all about what I, what I call attention-based marketing, and and it's um, you know, basically going to where the eyeballs of people are. People aren't in magazines. They're not. They're not looking at newspapers. Um, they're hardly reading anymore. So everyone's down on their phone. Influencer marketing, I think, is the most underpriced attention that is out there. Um, it's just hard to utilize because you may not know how to source those influencers in your community, right? But a lot of times, a lot of times I will find those. So I actually hired an intern to do nothing but curate my my patient base. You know, we went they went through twenty thousand charts and actually connected those charts. To social media profiles, and then I did something what I what I took from Gary V, which is the, uh, the thank you economy, and we called it we actually called it the thank you economy in my practice, and I and I had that person follow every one of my patients, active and non-active. So I had them follow, and so if they, even if they were active and I, unactive, I'm sorry, unactive patients, and I saw that they were going to the beach, I sent them an Atlanta Dental Spa town. It was like, hey, we miss you. Enjoy the beach trip. And, like, people get freaked out by that, like, in a good way, because it's the law of reciprocation, right? There's a, there's a great book by uh, Cialdini called Persuasion, and it basically says that it, humans get something like a gift or whatever, or they know that you care. So they, feel they, they feel an act of reciprocation to give back to you in some capacity. So I think that's a social media thing, honestly. I think we, that, that you can really leverage social media better than better than just – a lot of us older guys. Well, just to, just to reiterate, like social media is not, it's not, an, it, it's just being social and broad amplifying it. 
So the same rules that apply to regular relationships are just amplified on social media. Like I remember somebody like on a local um, Facebook page, like one of these, like, you know, like, Hey, help me find it. You know, a guy that plumber or whatever, it got a guy or something like that. It was like, help me find a dentist. Um, and there was a lot of chatter and then people started tagging me. And then someone said, I went there and had a really bad experience. So naturally I just get on. I'm like, Hey, you know, Jane, I'm really sorry you had a bad experience. Like what can, you know, would you mind PMing me and let me know what happened so I can have a chance to learn and make it better. But you're talking about reputation management versus influencer marketing. Well, no, but I'm talking about social media because same rules apply. So that wasn't the question. No, I know, but it, but you know, social media is just is a conversation, and you you were jumping into social media for a second, and the reputa- the the relationship you have that you have with people is just highlighted on social media. So just if it happens, so this was a very public thing. So I got like I don't know, like 15 likes, and all around town, people were like, hey what you did with that lady, like how you talked to her and how you had the opportunity to make it right. That was huge. That made me want to come to your practice, rah, rah, rah. So what I'm saying is if you have an influencer, you have that at an exponential effect. So, and people approach social media. Pete and I are joking around this because there's so many content companies with Garfield brushing his teeth. They're like SMH, it's Monday, or thank God it's Friday. This nondescript social posting that's just peppering the landscape with crap. If it's not relevant to you or your practice, it's actually intrusive and it's spam to the worst order because your, your feed is your own, like, it, you protect your feed. We all unfriend that girl that's like, oh, like, kill me, it's Monday. Like, or, you know, oh, great, my Monday morning's terrible. Well, just you know, someone that's not creating value in your- Right, and, we're negative. Just right? If, if they're not making you laugh or smile or you're feeling something, like, then, then you're like, ugh, I want my 2.2 my seconds back because that, that was horrible to watch or whatever, you know? And that's the society we live in. So, so I agree with you. I know we went down a rabbit hole of social media, which is a whole different discussion. And yeah, it's, huge. I'm a huge fan of influencer marketing, um, so much so that I can't tell you even about what we have in the works. Uh, because it, I think it's, I think it's going to be, I think it's going to do nothing but accelerate in marketing. But let's let's jump off that for a second. And go back to general advertising. Advertising is totally dead. What are you laughing about? Because you're like, hey, let's take your question and go talk about what we want to talk about. Hey, hey but listen, at you know, when people talk about marketing and marketing budgets. You know, putting that glossy ad, you, you used to be like 10 years ago, you used to be able to pay your way to get a patient to, to actually come to your practice. You know, it used to be that you had to have seven or eight, in, you know, exposure points or what do they call it? Frequencies? Uh, Ex- yeah, uh, uh, touch points. Yeah, or frequency, seven or eight frequency. Now it's social meritocracy, Craig. Yeah. I'm going to jump on that one, buddy. Yeah, please do that. It's important. <laughs> it is. You can You can say you're the greatest, but if you have a 3.1 on Yelp and uh, you know five, you know a, a 2.4 on Google, there's a meritocracy there. There's a great leveling playing field, and it's really cool. But there are also good guys out there that have really poor reviews because they don't have rapport with patients, which sucks as well. There's really bad dentists who are very well rated, and there's really great dentists who are poorly rated. It just points to that fact that you need to have all those skill sets developed. That someone, did, someone did mention um, the um, the uh, course that our friend um, does here, um, Chris Ramsey and Jupiter. Oh yeah, he's a master. I forgot about Chris. Holy yeah. shit! Yeah. So forget what I said about like don't do the dental courses, do Toastmasters, do Chris Ramsey. Yeah. 
Chris Ramsey has an awesome course. He's a, he's a magician with this kind of stuff. I'm tagging him in the comments here too, so you can go on the Bulletproof Practice and check him out. Y'all should listen. He actually, we had a two-part series with him. He's a good friend of mine, and like he's been a mentor and an advocate. We've just been, been buddies, and so I, I love Chris and, and the way he communicates. But we had a two-part series on, on the podcast, so go back and look at past episodes because – and watch the YouTube of it because he kind of shows and talks about those tells that I was, that what I was explaining a little bit. And it was just, I was enthralled with his discussion. Yeah. I just put him on our comments too. So yes, do his. The funny thing is, is I touch, I move around. I have a lot of motion as, as he's talking, he's telling me what the meaning is. Like, you no know, people that touch their face. I'm touching my face. I'm like, I can't do that anymore. Or if you're playing with your ear and I'm touching my ear, it's like, I was so hyper aware. Like, Chris is great. Guys, you got anything else for us? I mean, so I'm going to just piggyback off of his question. So with the social media, would you guys like try and start pushing? Like if you were in dental school right now, would you try and start opening up an Instagram like post and like. So develop your own brand right now. Develop your own brand. Okay. Would you even go to the extent of like buy a like domain name and then like start already knowing if you know like the name of your practice and then try and like. Um, um, I would do a personal Facebook page for your dental relevant Facebook page and a dental relevant Instagram page. I know guys in dental school that already have like 50,000 followers. And as far as that's as, not what he, that, what, hold on, Craig. I think what he's saying is because I know Peter, you go to like the, like some of these SEO, um, like CE things. So like, as far as Google trying to get there on that page rank for any kind of keywords is like dentist or anything like dental specific, like. If I'm looking to go, like for you, for like Atlantic, if anyone in Atlanta is looking for a dentist or something, like would you find that would be beneficial to start a domain right now and try and put tons of good content on there to try and build up, you know, your Google page ranks right now. So just as far as Google and getting a page rank and getting on that first page and for keywords, would you, do you think it's beneficial to buy a domain now if you know kind of where you want to practice and like start building keywords for that area. Well, okay. Yes. Buy the domain, but no, do not start trying to build, um, SEO currency. Even like, not even like content of like stuff that we're learning now, like occlusion and like all this information on occlusion that we're learning and like anything about anesthesia. Well, that I would, I would, I would buy the domain name just because it's real estate that it's like buying, you know, your, your oceanfront real estate. Like you, you know, it's a land grab. And so you need to buy it to make sure if you know the name of your practice, but I would work on developing you as the dentist first and then let that, once you open the practice, let that trans transcend into your, into your brand. Yeah. Because if you open up like Oak town dental and you're a dental student, on your Instagram and stuff, people are like, this is so weird. You know, it's just, it's, it's just, it's going to be, it's going to be out of place. So I would develop your brand and post your cases that you're doing in school and like aggregate followers and like, um, but I wouldn't, I wouldn't do your, I wouldn't do the practice name yet. I think it's confusing the public. It is confusing because you know, the worst thing that could happen is you build a lot of interest and then people start calling and there's no call or there's your web they can't see you they'll, put, they'll publish a negative review like i called that guy two times in the last six months and he never even got back to me i try to I, I call him with a broken tooth and you know so i would i i think right now it's more you know building your own personal brand and don't worry about the practice name because 
listen, there's guys that work with big brands, uh, but they have their own personal brand within the, the confines of the larger brand. Like, you know, even Mike Appa, who's probably the biggest brand in dentistry, has three or four doctors that are, you know, sub-branding, and they, they always have app aesthetic as their hashtag or at their location. So I think, and I do believe the way of the future is partnership. So I, I think going solo, completely solo, is going to be really tough. Well, and, and if you can do it, if you can, if you can run a successful social media channel and build your own personal brand, doing it for your corporate entity or your practice will be easy because you'll already have the skill set, right? You already know how to do it. Yeah. So I, I kind of have a question more for you, Craig, because your model is like, you know, like a one-stop shop sort of thing like that. Um, how do you go about pitching to specialists and being like, hey, come work for me instead of them like setting up their own shop with like, let's say a few endodontists and making their own group? Well, that was, so the, the way the model was born was that I believe that all uh, specialty work had to be uh, done by specialists. In keeping with that, I grew a really large base of general dentists that, you know, kind of fed the specialists. So think of it like a pyramid. It was a really, like a high volume, a lot of doctors, a lot of GPs that would filter out to get the specialty. So what you'll find is that when you, when you want to go hire a specialist, the first thing to tell you is, you know, I'll come see you once a month until you can fill my schedule. And I don't believe that, and there's an interesting thing that happens in dentistry. It's like, you bring on these itinerant dentists, whether they're GPs or specialists, and they work with you part-time until they can build a schedule. I don't believe you can really build anything part-time. I think it's hard to be, as a GP, like I hear about guys spending one day a week in four different practices. I think they're all going to stay one day a week in all four practices. So getting the specialist, I guaranteed some of them at certain points. You know, I had oral surgeons that were guaranteed to stay there full time, you know, all the time. But it was at a point where I could afford to have them. But there's never really the right time to add people. You just have to build the business together with them. And sometimes as a business owner, you have to take on that risk. Um, so convincing them or building the business, I don't know, comes first. Uh, I think they're both simultaneously at the same or, time. Or paint the vision that your ecosystem is going to be so big that you're going to control the workflow because you're the one who's going to get the patients from a generalist perspective first. Right. And well, that's so, the consumer shifting. The consumer doesn't want to go to the endodontist anymore. They don't want to go to the oral surgeon. I mean, imagine how circuitous it is for a patient to find out how much something costs. They go to the general dentist. Well, my part's three grand. Well, what about the other? I should be about two to four. I'm not quite sure. And but not even that, not even that it's, Oh, I'm going to send you to my buddy who you're going to have to get back in your car, fill out new paperwork, call people that you don't know, see faces that, you, that, you know, again, going back to dentistry is a very scary place, doing that whole process over again. Patients don't want to do that. And, you know, like Amazon delivers, you know, I hit the easy button in my house and Amazon delivers shit in an hour to me. Like, why, why are we making patients, like, go through these, these huge hurdles? It's just not going to work. And that's the other factor that's driving me more towards the super GP model, because even though I have everything under one roof, you still have to meet multiple providers in my office. So even though it's as convenient as like, let me go call the oral surgeon over here, or let me call the endodontist over here, that is even becoming too cumbersome for patients. Patients are like, well, I just want, you know, I'm already numb here. Like, can't we just get it going? So if you have well-trained um, providers that can handle a wide scope, you know, it's better to have one provider do more 
then like historically in my model, like if you had, if you were prepping a three cheap bridge, 28, 29, and 30, and 29 was loose, my model was so strict that like as a GP, you'd prep 28 and 30, and then march them down the hallway and have the oral surgeon just take the 29 and just go whoop, like take it out. Like that doesn't make any sense. That's not what's best for the patient. Um, so, you know, things are changing. And I think what, what keeps business in general um, successful is your degree to deal with change. There's a business you're in and there's a business that you're becoming and it affects everybody. And the landscape now in dentistry and all businesses is disrupting so quickly. You've got it. Your speed of innovation is going to be equal to your speed of success. So stay flexible. You got to stay flexible. Pete and I are staying very flexible. I, I was very rigid for a very long time and I, um, I think I'm paying some of the price for that. Yeah, it sounds like the like school model almost a little bit as of right now, your initial model. Yeah, well, that's what I like because I like the camaraderie. But you can still yeah. have wonderful camaraderie by breaking down the specialty into multidisciplinary. I'm not saying that your box, whether it's three chairs or 30, should not provide all forms of dentistry. I'm just saying that you should have doctors who have wider scopes. Because even if like all five of you went into practice together but had different scopes, it would be inefficient for the patients. And as a group, you learn from each other. There's a lot of camaraderie. There's a lot of academia in my model. I learned so, in Pete and my, our model, we learned so much from each other. Um, so there's, a, there's, there's all that learning that happens. I mean, the Cleveland Clinic pioneered this as well. Cleveland Clinic gets wonderful outcomes because peer pressure makes doctors better. You know, when you have people looking at each other and seeing what they can do and helping each other out, the patient quality goes up. You know, most dentists practice solo in some strip mall and they don't even like, learn from each other they hide you know it's a little fresh it's, it's a little scary our models because if you do a bad job the doctors in your practice are going to know about it same as academia where you guys are but that peer pressure makes everybody better it really does any other questions yeah what about from the live uh any questions from the facebook greg yeah i'm looking at it right now um uh, Paul Homley is the master for patient communication and role of his courses. People really do like um, uh, Chris Ramsey, which is great. That's a good one. And that's really about it. I don't have, I shared it in so many places. So if you have a question, please go to Bulletproof Dental Practice. Watch the video there. I can't see the questions coming from other places because I know there are. I keep flipping around to see them. But um, yeah, we're, we're here for a little bit more, and we'll, we'll take any questions you guys have. Are you guys out of questions over there at the Temple, guys? I'm going to lead into a little one. I mean, you kind of mentioned this, um, but do you feel like – I know that you said specialists are kind of going to be um, taking a little bit of a hit because of the, you know, the increased scope of general dentists. And now, especially with – like DSOs are now looking to buy kind of the general, I guess, dentists because like the quarterback of it, right? They can control. Well, they own the patient. Yeah, right? So do you feel like there's certain specialties that are kind of hedged up against that? Or do you think that all specialties are going to be in that same, same boat? I do. I do too. It's whoever owns the patient, owns the, owns the life cycle, owns the money. And I think if you were an oral surgeon wanting to open up a multi-oral multi surgery practice with five oral surgeons at your age – um, I would advise against it. I mean, that's just my belief system, and I'm open to anybody else's, but I would advise against it. Or if you were three or four endodontists coming together, I would advise against that as well. You're seeing a lot of specialists that have two oral surgeons and two endodontists. They're buying general dental practices, so they have a built-in referral base. I was going to say, look at the writing on the wall, just what Craig said. So if that's, a, that again, is a tell for what's happening, then 
then I would, um, yeah, I would, if I was a specialist right now, I would be a little bit nervous if I wanted to open up my own shop and, and depend on general practices to feed me, quote unquote, through referrals. So along with that, I mean, the only specialty that I see, like in my mind, that is not necessarily completely dependent upon um, general dentists is mostly like peds. Do you see like ortho though is more like yeah, general? I see that. Oh. That's yeah, safe. That's totally safe, I think. Yeah, well, well, no, pedo, I'd say if you're a pediatric dentist and you're not willing to do orthodontics, I think you're, you're, you'd have to be a more special practice to just go solo peds. Because time is the, I mean, the reason why Target sells milk now is not for a profit center. It's because people value time. You know, people want it all under one stop. So imagine taking Johnny, you know, now you're so busy. Johnny like has karate and freaking his ortho appointment all of a sudden. And all of a sudden, like he has a banding appointment, but he needs a sealant first or he needs a cleaning. And yeah. you have to send Johnny home now to the pediatric dentist to do it. It's just, it's inefficient. It's, you know, like my buddy was talking to me this weekend about buying a car. The car, Mark, you know, he wanted, he was going to pay cash, like, he was all ready to write a bank check. It was like a Chevy Tahoe. There was no negotiation. He had a web fee. But to buy the actual car took him like three hours. I mean, talk about a process that's ripe to be disrupted. If you have to spend three hours just to buy the car, you've already decided the price. Like those are businesses. Like, you know, that's why taxis don't exist anymore because now there's an app for that. And that's why, you know, you wouldn't think to bank with a, a company. You guys don't even realize this, but Pete and I, five years ago or 10 years ago, had to go to a bank to deposit a check. If I get a very large check and have to go to the bank now, it is a big freaking deal. Because if they see a large check, if you have like a $20,000 check or something, if you sold a house, have a $100,000 check or whatever, and you go to the bank, you're not just going to be able to deposit that check. They want to bring in a special room and talk about their advanced savings accounts and stuff like that. And it's just really annoying. So you got to make it easy for patients. If you don't make it easy for them to do business with you, someone else will. And Invisalign's doing that with their scanning centers. And I, I want to point out that Invisalign is not doing scanning centers to disrupt the dentist. They just recognize that they need to build these storefronts. They did two already in San Francisco because dentists are so bad at getting patients to enroll in Invisalign. They, we dropped the ball on so many touch points that Invisalign is going to scan random patients have them pay and then send them to us to deliver the care because they recognize how bad we are. So well, they're just going to enroll the case. You're what you're saying right. is that and pay and get it all done. Right. Right. Yeah. So I, I think that if you're gonna, I, I think pediatrics without ortho, if you are a good provider, you could probably make it. But if a pedo ortho multi-doctor office opens up right next door, that's open on Saturdays and evenings, I'd worry. I'd be worried. Wouldn't you, Peter? Heck yeah. So the other question on that then would be talking about like the future. Do you feel, I mean, I don't know how much, I know Peter, you're mostly fee-for-service, right? You're not necessarily a lot of PPO. But do you see like the fee schedules for specialists and general eventually merging together when these like insurance companies pick up on like, hey, there's not as much and like we need to, we're losing a bunch of patients out because they're all, dealing with these general dentists we're not able to get them to i don't know you ever see those merging the fee schedules merging for a specialist and a gp the same rate or no i do i see she's, you're asking just to clarify peter he's asking whether or not the disparity between specialty ucr and gp ucr will collapse 
Is there a difference? Yeah, so like a specialist doing a root canal might get a grand, and a GP doing the root canal might get 700. I had no idea on that, actually. I thought, I thought a benefit was an insurance benefit. I didn't know it mattered where you went, but that's yeah. interesting. I had no idea. Um, and that's because that's not the world I live in. Like, I'm insurance independent, so, like, I don't, I don't even, you, you know, don't ask me anything about UCRs and stuff like that. Yeah, it's a good place to be, though. So. Yeah. yeah. He doesn't know what the common folk have to deal with, gentlemen. That's bullshit. No, that's not what I'm saying. No, I know. But I, you set yourself up for that It's one. just not my wheelhouse. I know, but I like the word insurance independent. I think that sounds really nice. I said independent. I said that. Insurance oh, okay. independent. I like that. I like that a lot. Yeah. But, um, yeah, I do believe that. I, I think, you know, when you look, I, I have friends in the area that are specialists that are being hired as GPs. Um, you know, and, and their dental practices around here. I think that um, um, I, I, I just, you know, the whole idea too, look at the DSO model. Specialists have negotiated being paid higher percentages as an associate than GPs. You know, so it might be average that a GP might be paid, let's say between 30 and 35%, where specialists are accustomed to getting 45 to even 52, 55%. Um, and, and, the reason why was that was born from this idea that GPs, specialists never used to go into GP models. So it's like, hey, bro, if you want to pull me out of my busy endodontic practice, you're going to have to pay me X dollars in order to get me there. And my overhead's 50%. So that's how it happened. Now that there's less specialty offices being opened, that's even being broken down now. So you got prosthodontists being paid 35%, endodontists being paid 35%. It's, it's kind of all over the place now. And, like, I think the disparity of income is going to come. Like, I think there's going to be a lot more runway for, you know, I remember when I was in dental school, they said, well, if you're going to be a general dentist, you're going to make $120,000 a year. And if you're a specialist, you're going to make two fifty. And I says, okay. So that's just the law, and I had no idea. Like, that's just the rule. And, like, I think that, and there's probably a disparity, a, a discrepancy, I should say, in, in income still, but I think we're going to start seeing them level out because just what Craig had said. The technology. I know you guys are big talking about technology. Exactly. Yeah. Technology, and then also just the just the 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 onboarding of the patients. If that makes any sense. Like you're well, you're going to be in the, yeah. the general the general practice is going to be in control of that workflow. Well, let's look at let's. P and I always talk about the stuff. We talk about the disintermediation in business, the cutting out of the middleman. Every business, like travel agents, used to be really viable. They used to be able to book a flight for you and tag a percentage onto it. You know, there, there's the financial services industry, the car industry, the taxi cab driver, and the medallions they used to have. There's a disintermediation. People have access to information, and they want to go right to the person. So this idea that patients are willing to go to GP and then refer to specialists, to specialists, they're not going to tolerate that. They just don't know other models exist right now. And the models that exist are typically DSO that have multi multidisciplinary, but then you've got a guy that's been out of dental school, no offense to you guys, one year, and he's, asked, he's being mandated to do molar root canal implants and blah, 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 blah. But there is a, a, there's another level that's more like what, what Pete and I was talking about, like generation three DSO, where you have really well-qualified dentists who are partners, who are trained well, and they can actually do 80% of the specialty scope you know, on their own. Not that everybody's going to do it all, but within, a, like, in Peter's group, how many GPs do you have? Five? Mm, yeah, six, yeah. And how, what, what do you send out, Peter? 
besides, you know, what do you um, how? Pterygoid implants is about it. Yeah, or zygomatic implants. Yeah, and, and actually some soft tissue. We spend out, send out perio. We don't have a lot of soft tissue. We don't do a lot of soft tissue work. Um, so, yeah, very, very, very limited amounts of stuff sent out. But, um, I mean, the but, soft tissue courses are being booked. Like, even, like, LANAP, Laser-Assisted New Attachment Protocol, the Millennium Company, most of their attendees now are GPs. Right. Michael uh, Picos is coming to my practice next week. He's uh, interested in learning about what we're doing. I I'm, can't wait to ask him what percentage of his uh, attendees of the soft tissue courses are GPs mm -hmm. now. So, I mean, listen, if you can take a five or 10 or $20,000 course and that opens up a whole new scope, you know, it covers your butt too. A lot of the times you need to have these ancillary procedures just to do your core competency. If you do Invisalign on a patient, you get recession. It's really nice that you can fix that. Right. Gentlemen, I know you're drinking out of a fire hose. Anything else for you guys? <laughs> Um, well, I guess it's a random one, but it's not so much dental, I guess. But um, Peter, I know you mentioned like Gary Vee as someone that you like kind of get uh, marketing ideas from. Are there any other guys outside of dentistry that you guys kind of like look to for certain like ideas or advice or stuff? Like I know Craig, like, that, um, stuff like that. Yeah, like I'm really into storytelling marketing right now. Um, there's a guy named Donald Miller that, um, that we were turned on to by Josh Robbins, Tony's son. And he's a master at kind of the storytelling marketing. I think that's going to become the quote unquote, the marketing that will be legit going forward. Um, so other people that I listen to, yeah, I'm a big Gary V fan. Um, you know, obviously I'm a Tony Robbins fan, but I mean, it's tough. It's tough because sometimes I'll, I'll be all about someone and then I'll hear them do something or, you know, I'll realize that they just like, I don't know. So I don't know where I'm going with that, but, Gary, Gary V is one of my heroes. Yeah, I think um, one of the important things to recognize is that your inspiration can come from anywhere. And um, if you're looking to get inspired strictly within the confines of dentistry, it's going to be really freaking hard. So um, as far as like innovation, what's coming next, dentists were routinely um, myopic. Our successes and failures lie in micromillimeters, so we get very tunnel visioned. And um, in order to see the bigger, broader picture, you have to back out a little bit, take cues from other people. Um, when you, you know, dentistry is a form, not really of healthcare, but it's a form of retail because everything we do is discretionary and elective. Um, the only thing medically necessary is really an extraction. Teeth are really, uh, I mean, I hate to say it and be crass, but teeth are basically optional. You can live a healthy life, edentulous. You won't be very happy with it. So everything's an upsell. Everything's about perceived value. So I take cues from retail. I was a big uh, I read uh, Howard Schultz's book early on and talked about, you know, how things should be more shaped to, towards retail. I got a lot of inspiration from the Apple. Apple, you know, we're looking at the mobile checkout, things like that. But there's also a problem, too, and I've seen this, is that, that people will immerse themselves in book after book after book. And, like, at some point, it's just time to freaking execute and, like, go do something. Like, quit reading, quit doing, and, like, go do your damn thing. You know, and, and maybe you're not like, like, don't wait until you're like, all right, I'm 100% prepared to this. Like, once you get to 90 or 80 or whatever, and you're like, I'm ready to go. I think I got this. Like, go do it. Like, quit sitting on the sidelines. I see so many people be like, I just need to read a couple more books, and then I'll have it, right? Like, bullshit. I'm not saying, I'm not, I'm not saying like, be, be dangerous. I'm, I'm talking about business right now. I'm not talking about patient care, obviously. Yeah, I, uh, that's a good clarification. 
We did get a post here. It says, you really think patients won't tolerate being referred? Is that where dentistry is going? I wouldn't want my ENT doing my prostate exam. Uh, I think that's a good, uh, I know that's a joke, but again, we're not talking about there's no room for specialty because specialty is really important. And, um, you know, the average, uh, you know, the biggest reason why dentists get sued and the biggest payouts are when they get out of their scope. I just think that the traditional model, like when you go back 15 years where everybody was an absolute purist, you know, the GP just did, you know, quadrant dentistry and referred out like literally everything. That's, that's going to be hard to make viable, I think. Yeah, that's, and that's a good clarification, right? There used to be this like tier system in dentistry. I remember when I got out and it was like, just stay in your lane and refer everything out. And like, and technology, like we're talking about, is, is a great disruptor. And education and, and the access to information has accelerated as well. And so you can learn, you know, but, you, but still I think it's true. Like jack of all trades, master of none. I'm not saying you can be amazing at everything. And the standard of care still exists in dentistry. So, but if you can do something to the standard at which an endodontist does, then do it. Like yeah, do it all. That includes using microscopes and yeah. and stuff like that. You know, I mean, I think you got to practice at that standard. Like our endodontist who's been with me for like eight or 10 years now, in the general practice that he's in, he has, he's only with us one day a week. And in his endodontic practice, he gets only clusters, like total screw ups, broken files. You know, they've got a couple guys that send him, you know, routinely all the easy stuff, but he's got a good percentage of the referrals that just send him his bailout stuff. So, but in our model, we historically, even an anterior root canal, we wouldn't do that. We'd send it to him. But he's like, look, I train one of your guys to use the microscope. You know, I can get them as good as me with a microscope for anterior stuff. So, you know, this purest model of GP only doing a very narrow scope. I think posterior implant placement by a really skilled GP, especially guided, could be better than an oral surgeon in some cases, depending on what they uh, depending on the level of technology, I've seen plenty of oral surgeon and periodontists that place implants that are non-restorable. So, um, you know, that, you know, having that vertical integrated scope, uh, as long as it's not too, too broad, could be a benefit to the patient. It just depends on the provider. Any other questions? Tyler, I haven't heard from you much. No, I'm just hiding away over here in the corner. You're just, you're just moderating, huh? Yeah, sort of. Yeah, I think you answered a lot of our questions. We're hitting you from all angles here, but we appreciate just how you've been able to track with us. I, I think in closing, too, I, I know when I got out of dental school, I was pretty depressed in that it, they painted a doom and gloom picture for me anyway, and it was this, like, I don't know. I mean, school beats you up, and maybe your school is a little bit better, but I want you guys to know that you are entering one of the greatest professions. There's, there's no ceiling on what you can do. You can create your own life. I still think it's the glory years in dentistry. I think it's going to actually become even more as, as the technology makes things more fun, the communication makes things more fun. The, you know, so I want you guys to just be hopeful. And, you may, and maybe you already are, but I think it's, it's still the greatest time to be practicing. And, and um, you, guys are, you guys made the right choice. And, and I hope you have a lot of fun in your career because it's, it's super rewarding to be able to change people's life, even on, even on the micro level that sometimes we do. Yeah, that's really well said. It's a, it is the glory years, like Pete said, and um, you don't realize it yet, or maybe you do because you're already in clinic, but what we get to perform for patients is so rewarding, and um, building those long-term relationships are what gives you the fulfillment. A lot of people make lots of money, 
and they're not fulfilled, dentists typically have a high fulfillment level. And um, it is the best time because technology is a great equalizer. And even the meritocracy of the internet, as long as you're doing things the right way, people are going to talk about you and it's going to be great. So you can have some behemoth that advertises tons that is going to eat your lunch. You know, do the right thing, care about patients. I mean, Gary V, to quote uh, Peter's mentor, Gary's like the cheapest marketing strategy ever, care, give a shit about what you do. I mean, everybody's trying to craft the story that they care, but if you really care, if you call your patients each night that you've done work on, that's probably the cheapest and easiest way to lead to fulfillment and success. And one more hack that I'll give you guys being in school because your you're third and fourth year, you have a little bit more free time. You're not as heavily concentrated on the books. If you want to learn from someone, reach out and tell them that you're a dental student, even a course, because a lot of times, like I weaseled my way into a lot of free shit when I was in dental school because everyone knew I was broke, right? And they're like, can I just, can I just sit in the back of the room and look at your continuum that, you know, most people charge $10,000 for, like, I'll bring my sack lunch. Like, so you, you still have, I know that seems daunting, especially given that you just finished your second year, which, which is typically the hardest, but like, just know that like you have, you have a couple years left where you can really leverage the fact that, that everyone wants to give back to dentistry. And so everyone really feels um, they can empathize with dental school. So I would fully leverage that if I were you and, and, and ask, ask to attend something, even if you can just audit hearing what, what it looks like out there in the space. Yeah, it, I, I agree with that. It's really important. I really do. I think that you'd be surprised how many people are willing to help. I've had probably a dozen dentists come through here and they've shouted me for the day. I mean, in a turn of events, like I said, Mike Picos is coming here this Wednesday. He wants to shadow me. I'm like, yeah, shadowing, but also in, and courses, like just use your time. And a lot of times your instructors, if they, if they're good, they'll give you like, I, I, I traveled a lot in my fourth year because I was going to stuff that my professors knew would, would enhance my career and make me a better dentist. Yep. So sometimes just you need to ask for permission to go and do that, but like take advantage of it because once you get out, you don't have that much empathy because everyone thinks you're, you're making money and you can't, you can't attend, uh, you can't attend the, uh, the seminars for free anymore. Yeah. Just an idea. And Pete and I do that routinely as well. He sent, he sent a doctor to me and I sent a doctor to him. So I think, and T-Bone has that through an Argawal. He's probably happy to do that as well. Kyle Stanley, another guy. I mean, reach out to people. It can't hurt. Yep. It's a pay it forward thing because it's going to be asked of y'all one day too when you're 20 years down the road. And you can remember that like, oh, I remember when a dentist spent a lot of time with me or this person gave a lot of, a lot of uh, you know, gave me free admission to this seminar and you're going to be asked to pay it forward, which you'll gladly do. And I think that's the secret of, uh, one of the secrets of life. Really do. Nice. So anything else, guys? I think we're good here. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Well, well, thanks, guys, and thanks to the online community that was listening. Appreciate you guys putting this together. Um, I, hope, uh, I hope that wasn't too much information. And the last thing uh, we'd want you to do is um, feel like there's too much uh, coming at you because it is the technology, even though it's disruptive, you, you guys are going to use it to your advantage. The guys like Pete and I trying to figure out this technology is uh, not as easy because you guys grew up with it. So um, the future is yours, guys. Yeah, thank awesome. You we appreciate it. All right, guys. Have a great, have a great rest of the day. All right. All right. Take, take care, Thanks for listening to the Bulletproof Dental Practice Podcast. We'd love to hear your thoughts about this episode. Please rate and review us on iTunes or your favorite podcast source. 
Check out BulletproofDentalPractice.com for video interviews and text BULLETPROOF to 345-345 to stay connected to us for special announcements. Have a great day.